All right, let's take a look at this. Jude, that little letter right before Revelation that probably very few people read, much less teach through, has a lot of really, really uh, important things for us to learn. And as I indicated to you guys when we started this, Jude and Second Peter are very closely related. It is apparent that they knew each other. They were working through some of the same issues with the false teachers. And uh, so let's, let's go ahead, and I'm not going to read all the way through Jude again, but it's such a short letter, I would really uh, advise you to just, before you get here, read the whole thing, and then you stay in context. You have that flow, that continuity. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace excuse me, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you that all you I want to remind you, although you fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the coming of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve an ex- as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And I'm not going to get into verse 9 and beyond there because there's a controversial passage that uh, I am not going to deal with this week. I want to focus uh, on that more next week. Now, um, so basically, if we uh, outline this, you have this greeting in verses 1 and 2, and then you have this introduction uh, where Jude says, I wanted to basically encourage you, but it looks like you've been infiltrated. You have these false teachers that have come into the midst of your fellowship, and, you know, Christians are welcoming. They should be, or at least they should be. I'm sure not all churches are. In fact, I've been around churches that don't seem to be terribly welcoming. Um, but uh, grace and acceptance are essential to being a Christian, and that's good. But there are people who take advantage of that. They come into your midst, and they enjoy that fellowship, but they may have other motives. And, you know, we've mentioned some of those things. You have people that have relationship motives and not healthy relationship motives. Uh, you have people that may be coming in to take advantage of others financially, right? And you have, I didn't mention this, but, you know, you have churches where people with these, these you know what multi-marketing schemes are, these pyramid schemes, you know, hey, all you got to do is get four or five people under you that are giving you money and they, da, 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 and you're going to make a million dollars. And so you got these people that are like, okay, no, you know, and no, I, I, we've had very few instances of that, but I shut that stuff down right away. Um, that's, it's just a bit of nonsense. People just think that they can make free money. 
The problem with these, uh, these teachers as we get on into Jude is that they were coming in and it was common for um, teachers to move about. Um, and this goes all the way back before Christianity uh, to the time of the philosophers when these teachers would go around and they would gather students around them and the students would donate money to them you know, so that they could be taught. Kind of like, uh, you know, your own private school, but it wasn't just when you were younger. Uh, you know, it happened all the time. This is a very, very uh, common Greek tradition, and it uh, made its way into or was, you know, just the same in the religious world. And so when Christian teachers started moving about, um, the Apostle Paul clearly said that those who preach the gospel should make their money by preaching the gospel. But there were those who took advantage of this, and this may have been one of the motives of these folks. Now, these guys were also um, teaching licentiousness, right? Um, antinomianism. That is, you know, you're just utterly free from the law, which means you can just do whatever you want to do. And if it feels good, do it, that sort of thing. And so uh, this is, by the way, what the Apostle Paul was accused of, but obviously wasn't teaching, right? He said, yes, we're free from the Mosaic law, but we're under the law of Christ, the law of love, right? We have the Holy Spirit. The what spirit? The Holy Spirit. This is just a, a name, right? That is expressing what the Spirit of God does within us. He sets us apart from the world. We're holy, we're different, we're separate. We're following a different set of rules, but more important than that, we know the reason for the rules. We know the basis for the rules. So uh, we're living up to the highest standard. And Jesus came along and he said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. And he starts talking about murder. He says, oh, well, you know, you've heard it said, your ancestors were taught, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you are angry with your brother in your heart, right? If you say, Raka, if you, which is basically a, an Aramaic word for calling somebody an empty head, right? If you call your brother a fool, you know what the Greek word for fool is? Moros. Do you know how many times I hear somebody call somebody a moron today? This is common in the political world. Jesus said, you're already guilty of murder. Wow. It's a higher standard. It's not a lower standard. It's we understand the reason behind all of this. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look, and he's talking to his male disciples, if you look at a woman in order with the purpose of lusting after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus was saying, check your heart. It's not, it's not what, you know, the externals that we need to pay attention to. It's the motivation. It's the internal. Because your thinking, that's what I was talking about Sunday, stinking thinking results in bad behavior, results in bad attitudes and bad language and all of that. It all starts with how you think. Um, and so in any event, these false teachers that are coming in and saying, hey, you know, you can do whatever you feel like doing and so forth, basically telling people what they want to hear. And this is what I see with false prophets today. They just tell people what they want to hear because they want more followers. And these days, you, you don't have to ask for money for people all right, we're on YouTube and we don't even have enough followers to where I can quote unquote monetize, right? 
Monetized means that they can play ads and there's so many people watching that you collect money for what you do. Now, previously, I've been on YouTube forever, um, but you know, I guess I'm just not a popular person because I've just never had a ton of people you know, watch these things. And so for a while, the option was there to monetize, but there was still never any money coming through because there was nothing that was that. But then YouTube upped the, the level and they said, oh, we're sorry. You're so unpopular. You don't even qualify anymore. Let us know when you have like, I don't know what it is, like a thousand, you know, followers or something like that. And then you can, you know, monetize if you, you know, if you want to do that. All you have to do these days is come up with something that a lot of people want to watch, or really, more importantly, how are they going to find out about it? You essentially have to find a way to get YouTube to promote it. See, a lot of times, people on Facebook, they just assume that when they post something, that every, all their followers see it. Eh, that is incorrect. They do not. There's an algorithm that's there, and some people will see your stuff, and others will not. And if you're a serial poster, you're like posting stuff all day long. Unless somebody has specifically said, hey, I want to see all your stuff, you're not going to see all their stuff, right? So we are beholden to these big tech entities when we're doing that. And we think that everybody's seeing what we're doing. Yeah, the only way to do that is just call them, <laughs> you know, send them a letter, text them, whatever. And, uh, and even then, you know, who knows? I text people all the time and I get no reply. I'm like, oh, I'm so popular even then, you know, it's like, you know, it's uh, hello. But these days, if you want to be a false teacher, I, you know, all you got to do is put something out there that tickles people's ears and then you get it. And I guess there's this new service, TikTok, which actually is Chinese. Uh, there's nothing against Chinese people. When we're saying Chinese, we're talking about the greatest danger. And I've been saying this for a decade. The greatest danger to this country hasn't been Russia for a very long time. It's China. More specifically, not Chinese people, the Chinese Communist Party. They are actively, avidly seeking to dominate the United States of America. They want this country's place in the world as a world power. And they're doing everything they can. They've infiltrated our educational system. They're stealing tech secrets from major corporations. They're stealing tech secrets from the military. They found ways to do all of this. And then they basically just replicate that technology. And then they sell it for far cheaper. This is, this is, it's a danger that's, that's there. But TikTok, this is the reason why the, the president, uh, the present president, President Trump came out in opposition to them, is because this is a part of their, their data mining process. A lot of the companies that we subscribe to for our video cameras and whatever this, there's a camera over here that, uh, is on and it will record if, you know, there's nothing going on in this room and somebody walks across the room, it will record them and so forth. It, that's called a canary, but there's, I have these other cameras that are, they were cheap. They're called Zmodo and I've got them all over the place. I think they're Chinese. Not that the Chinese are really able to see anything from that, but the point is that there is this invasive um, into everything right? Uh, the Chinese now uh, came up with the, the fastest computer in the world, which might not seem to mean anything except that it allows them to process this 
mon monumental amount of data, right, that they are trying to, to bring in. Uh, all of these things are, th are things to think about, but I I'm digressing here. Um, you can come up with something that is popular, basically telling people what they want to hear, and put it on YouTube. And you're promoting your false teaching, and you get to make money off of it. I mean, there's all sorts of how-to videos on YouTube, right? You know, how to cook this, how to fix that, whatever. And if they get enough followers, there's, I don't know, see, the thing is, I don't know how YouTube picks who to recommend to you. I know if you watch healthy stuff, you will get nine out of 10 of the videos will be healthy videos. Although recently, I turned off some of the, the stuff that YouTube is allowed to do to kind of track your behavior and I started getting this random stuff that's just not me right like rap music okay I'm old I'm an album rock guy that's not me right and most popular music today rap or any other kind of music is not what a Christian person is going to want to listen to anyway and then I started getting these random these are guys young men who wear makeup and they publicize themselves putting makeup on and they have millions of followers i'm don't get it i really don't get it i just don't i don't get that it's happening and don't quite understand why but more than that i don't understand why it recommended it to me except that it must be just a general recommendation because they have so many millions of followers but there's this group of they look like high school kids who do these these tricks right? They're like, you know, throw a card across the room and it lands on a hat type of tricks, you know, and they have all these, yeah, da, da, da. and I watched a couple of them because they were just, uh, it was uncanny. So here's a kid, only a kid during shutdown would have this much time, who sits in a room for seven days solid and continues to throw darts at a dartboard until he made one in the bullseye and he could throw the other dart and split the first dart in half, right? And it, that's all he did. But he's got millions of people watching this. Well, I don't know how much money they make for doing that, but more money than I make on YouTube, which is nothing. My point is, today you don't have to be a roving evangelist and move into somebody's church to accomplish this goal. Uh, and especially in the COVID era, there's just a whole lot of people that aren't even going to church. They're too scared, or it's just a really good excuse not to go to church, right? Or they have legitimate reasons. We have plenty of people that have actual health reasons not to be in a crowd, and that's why we continue to do this. That's why I bought three cameras. That's why I bought a switcher. That's why I brought all this stuff, so that uh, our folks who can't be here could still be a part of what we're doing. But again, because there are so many people that are tuned into YouTube or TikTok or whatever, um, there's more opportunity for them to get some of this false teaching. And I'll be honest with you. If you tune into TBN, if you tune into, uh, what's the other one? Uh, what's the other Christian network? Daystar. And I think they're even worse than TBN. TBN is better than it used to be, although I haven't watched it in a while. But you're going to encounter all kinds of wacky stuff right? You can't just assume, oh, it's Christian TV, so I'm just, you know, going to get healthy teaching. No, these folks are almost always asking you for money. And, you know, when I was a kid, I had this thing figured out. 
My grandma used to send me all sorts of Christian teaching, magazines and so forth. And there were these preachers that would just, you know, they'd preach a five-minute sermon and then ask you for money for 25 minutes. Well, you can pretty much figure out what's going on there, or they just intersperse requests for money all through the whole thing. Oh, we're going to shut down. We're going to shut down. We got another telethon. And other, you know, there's, there's networks, one in particular I'm thinking of, that seem to have a telethon about like, you know, every three months or whatever, and crying out for money, and we're shutting down or whatever. I'm just thinking this. I mean, make your requests known to God, right? Let people know where you're at and then do what the Lord has led you to do. For a short period of time, I was concerned. When they shut everything down and said, people aren't going to be able to come to church, I'm like, wow. And I wonder how many people are not going to have their jobs. And I wonder what's going to happen with our giving. I wonder if we're going to be able to stay in this building. And I wonder if I'm going to get paid. Can I just tell you, we haven't experienced lack. In fact, in the middle of the shutdown, we had one of our highest months ever, right? Now, we're not rolling in the dough by any stretch of the wildest imagination, all right? We're month to month, for sure. We are month to month. But the Lord supplies our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And, you know, he's going to supply your needs as you are willing to be faithful with what he's given to you. So, I say all that because when you get these false teachers, if they're in it for the money, then you're going to know that right away. All right. Um, so then when we start in verse 3, um, he talks about why he wanted to write to them. And then uh, in verse 4, he addresses the, the, uh, the problem head on. Certain people have crept in unnoticed, right? Um, and uh, he mentions a little bit of what, the, what they're doing. Uh, they're ungodly. That means they're irreverent. They pervert the grace of God. That means they're abusing God's grace, turning it into sensuality. And I told you sensuality is just unbridled, unrestrained lust, essentially, usually sexually oriented in this context, but it could be over a lot of different issues. And they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have this initial uh, outlay of what these teachers are like. Then what we're going to look at in just a moment, and then in verse 8, he goes back into talking about what these teachers are doing. In like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So these are the things they're doing, and he sprinkles this in throughout the letter. Now let's look at verse 5. Uh, actually, we're going to look at 5 through 7. Now I want to remind you, Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example, undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. He's mentioning these judgments that God has doled out to the angels and his people and this, these foreign nations, Sodom and Gomorrah, because they parallel what these false teachers are leading other people into, all right? So first of all, he says, although you once fully knew it, 
it's not enough just to know Bible stories, all right? If you've been to Sunday school, uh, you know, if you've done all the little coloring pages, uh, our kids upstairs do endless coloring pages, all right? You know, if you're old enough to, I mean, we have a few of you in here that are older. Do you remember flannel boards, right? That's how they taught the little flannel board and you stick on the Jesus and you stick on the disciple and here's the donkey right here and then you can move around. Kind of cool. Um, you can teach people the stories, but that doesn't mean they understand what those stories mean or how they apply to the world and how they apply to themselves. That's what it means to fully know this. We don't just learn Bible history for the sake of learning Bible history, or you might as well just learn ancient history, period. Just learn ancient Egyptian history, uh, ancient Persian history, ancient Greek history, ancient Roman history. Why don't we learn all of that? Well, there is, the Apostle Paul said, these things happen to Israel as examples for us, upon whom the end of the ages have, have come. When we read about Israel, we're looking at how God deals with people, and we're seeing this as a type, right? Even an archetype of God dealing with humankind, God dealing with human beings, right? And this goes all the way back to Genesis 1, all right? Adam and Eve. Do you know what the, the word Adam in Hebrew means? Huh? It just means man. He is the archetypical, original man. He represents all of us, not just males, but all of us, humanity, right? In our natural, unredeemed state. Eve. Do you know what Eve's name means? So, so she's called Eve because she's the mother of the living. The Hebrew word is chava, chava, and it comes from the Greek word chaya, which means life. She represents natural life, the giver of natural life. So I'm not one of those people that does not believe there was a literal original Adam and Eve, but I want you to understand that they represent more than just two people that lived a long time ago. They represent all of us. They represent natural life. So I sent out... Uh, to my Bible group today, I sent out uh, Genesis chapter 3, and you can see the, uh, the story about the fall and what went on there. And if you paid attention, Genesis 3.15, those of you that are watching that and um, uh, you've got that subscription that I'm sending out uh, to everyone, um, Genesis 3.15 is the judgment on the serpent, and it says that uh, the serpent will... Uh, that the seed of the woman, and those of you that know biology understand that the woman doesn't bear the seed. She bears the ova. So here's something that's signaling you already that there's something unique going on here. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, although the serpent will strike his heel. Well, the seed of the woman, this is, a, this is a prophecy of Christ, right? The virgin birth is important. It's not just a superstition. It's not just a throwaway doctrine that, you know, you can decide if you believe it if you want to. It's essential to Christianity because the virgin birth 
helps us to understand that the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is Almighty God, not Joseph, not a Roman soldier that raped Mary. Believe it or not, there are people that would hold to this, okay? But this was a supernatural birth, and we find this in both birth narratives in Luke and in Matthew, okay? So the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Well, the serpent was the deceiver. The serpent is Satan. Get all the way to the other end of the Bible in Revelation, and it calls Satan that serpent of old, right? So um, you need to understand what these stories mean, how they apply. How do they apply to you? How do they apply to our world? Okay, And he said, well, you once fully knew it, but apparently they don't fully know it anymore. They may still know the Bible story. This is like people today. They've just been in church a long time, and a, a, a novel teaching comes in, and they're like, oh, well, I never heard that before. Well, that's interesting. Then we really don't need to follow the Bible like we thought we did, do we? We can follow the culture we can do what everybody else is doing. And it's okay with the Bible because you brought in a new teaching. But I have to reinterpret the Bible and I have to look at it in a way that I didn't look at it before. Listen, friend, open the Bible and read it before you open commentaries, before you read books on Christian living. I honestly, the majority of contemporary books on Christian life, Christian living, all this, I don't read. In fact, I told you guys on Sunday that uh, I, I canceled my Apple Music subscription because I got tired of dealing with them. Um, and uh, I got Spotify. Well, I got three months of Spotify for free, and then it'll start charging me 10 bucks a month. So I got time to figure it out, see if it's going to work for me. But they have all of these stations that they recommend, right? You know, popular Christian music, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, it's just, it's a better interface, honestly. When I'm in my car, it comes up with this real simple interface on my phone, and you just press a little button there, you know, Christian music, worship music, this, 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 and just starts playing these songs, right? So I'm getting introduced to all these new songs. Do you know what I've discovered? I haven't listened to Christian radio, and I don't know how long, right? Back in the old KLTY days. Does KLTY still exist? Yep. Okay. Here's what I've discovered. I can't stand contemporary Christian music anymore. I just keep going, what, 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 bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> right? I listen to the worship music all the time, like the stuff that we play in church, which is a part overall of contemporary Christian music. But it's like, uh, what, is, what is popular now is just not, mm. so, Stylistically, that's neither here nor there. Style is, you know, it's like how you dress, right? As long as you dress modestly, it doesn't matter. You like to wear black all the time or purple all the time. If you wear tight clothes or loose clothes or whatever, it's, that's your style. You do what you do, okay? Um, it enters into morality when that style starts saying something, right? Uh, the style that was so popular, and you still see some kids doing it where they're wearing their pants down below their butt cheeks and their underwears hanging out. That's not something a Christian should be doing. Sorry, okay? That's where style starts meeting morality and you have to start saying, what are you, what are you trying to say? All right, well, we won't get into that. 
So musically, people are going to like all kinds of style. I'm not a fan of rap and hip-hop, but there are a few rap artists out there that are Christians that I've really appreciated because their theology is spot on. Uh, for quite a while, uh, Lecrae was like that. He's gotten into this activist phase now um, because of some of the drama that's gone on in our country. And so I'm just not really a big fan of what he's coming up with here lately. But that's, you know, uh, he it doesn't seem to have, you know, turned to apostasy or something like that. Um, I'm not a big country fan. I mean, you might be. I'm just telling you, we, we have different tastes, right? Uh, to me, country music still represents my dad drunk in a bar. So I just, but again, I've listened to country songs that I like because they represent Jesus or whatever. I'm an album rock guy from the 70s, man. So that's just, you know, yeah. When Eddie Van Halen died, I was like, man, I haven't listened to those songs in a long time because I want to represent Jesus. And that's not going to be the thing I'm going to listen to every day. So for about a month there, I was into all this old Van Halen. I was like, oh man, yeah, I remember that. I like that stylistically. But then I start listening to the words and I'm like running with the devil. No, I'm not. So I'm good. Right. <laughs> Those sorts of things, you know, Panama. Uh, uh. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> but basically the stuff that they sing up here, you know, uh, that's the kind of stuff that, because I'm listening beyond the music and the words, there's a spiritual intent to music. And I think that that's important. Um, so what I'm trying to say is not everything out there that is Christian in name is glorifying to God. So, you know, you need to have your spiritual ears tuned before you just buy any book Okay, watch any program that claims to be Christian. Listen to any. And this is what you should do with your entire life. This is not, well, I'm not going to deal with any of that. I'm just going to listen to secular. So you're going to listen to music that explicitly does not glorify God rather than sorting through things. No, it just look for truth, all right? The truth is out there, as they used to say in the 90s with the X-Files. Um, it is out there. It's one of my favorite shows back then. All right. And it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. It just was weird. But Craig and I used to love the X-Files. That was our thing. All right, then he starts into it. He says, you once fully knew these things. And then he starts giving these biblical examples. Well, um, regarding verses 5 through 19, um, Green says from the Tyndale New Testament commentary, it is in fact verses 5 through 19, a careful piece of exegesis, that means it's an interpretation, which shows Jude to be a highly skilled practitioner of Jewish, Jewish exegesis. Jude is using a midrashic technique. The midrash was uh, a body of literature that interpreted that was of rabbis that interpreted the Old Testament. Jude is using a midrashic technique, making five citations, right? He's looking at five different texts, verses 5 through 7, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 18. And each of these is followed by a commentary section, verses 8, 10, 12 through 13, 16, and 19. And there are extensive parallels for this at Qumran. Qumran was a 
an ascetic community just outside of Jerusalem in the desert. It is a powerful way of showing that the prophecies from now are being fulfilled, okay? So let's look at this midrash, this interpretation of Old Testament texts. He says, Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Well, wait a minute. Jesus isn't mentioned in the Old Testament, is he? Not explicitly, not by name. But the pre-incarnate Christ was, in fact, the angel of the Lord. Not an angel. Understand what the Greek word angel, it is angelos. And angelos is a messenger, right? Well, that messenger could be a created being like you and I, right? The angels are created beings. The, there are the seraphs. There are the cherubs, right? These are these created beings. And people are like, people, you know, today, like, oh, do you believe in aliens? If an alien is a non-human, then yes, I do. You can call them angels and demons, right? These are created entities that are not human, that exist beyond our spatio-temporal dimension, okay? So, yes. Now, you know, with weird faces coming from other planets and so forth, not so much. But the scripture presents these beings, and they are called angelos, which are messengers. The messenger of the Lord is the Son of God, right? Um, so the pre-incarnate Christ was the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus is called the Word, right? Right? In the beginning was the word. That's the message. He is the message. He's the messenger, and he is the message. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. That's a title from Daniel chapter 7 that refers to Messiah, but this refers to the fact that is Son of Man and Messiah refers to the fact that Christ is God's ambassador to humans and the human representative before God. He's God's ambassador to us. He's our priest before God, our high priest, our go-between. Therefore, when the Bible speaks of God's action among the Israelites, it is Christ who is the agent taking action. Listen to this. Moses went up on the mountain, Sinai, right? He's, he's a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro. He's been doing this for 40 years. First 40 years, he's raised in the Egyptian royal court. He recognizes that he's a Hebrew, and he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And so he strikes the man and kills him. Don't know if the intent was to kill him or not, but nonetheless he did. So he buried him in the sand. When he was discovered, then he fled. He left Egypt. Went on the backside of the Sinai Desert, what we now know as the Sinai Desert, met Zipporah, his wife, and then his father-in-law, her father, Jethro, and he started taking care of sheep. And he did that for another 40 years. When Moses was 80, that's old, I'd be retired by then. When he was 80, he's up on the side of the mountain, Sinai, and he sees a bush burning. Turns away, probably. Turns back. And it's still burning, but it's not burning up. Now, if you've ever you know, seen a brush fire, I mean, dry brush burns fast, right? I can remember uh, 
I used to, when I was 13 and 14, my stepdad uh, was a miner, as, as an M-I-N-E-R, hard rock miner, not M-I-N-O-R, okay. And uh, they mined silica and silver in Casa Grande, Arizona. Casa Grande is about an hour away from Phoenix. We lived up in North Phoenix, so he'd get up at 3.30 in the morning, get ready, leave by 4, 4.15, drive south all the way through Phoenix, down to Casa Grande, and then their mine was out in the desert, outside of Casa Grande, on the side of a hill, big open pit mine. When I was 13 and 14, I used to uh, go with them to this uh, open pit mine. And um, even in the desert, it gets cold in the winter. All right? I mean, it was cold out there last night. But I can remember being at the mine at 5 o'clock in the morning, and it'd be cold. And so we'd always light a, you know, big fire, make some coffee. That's the first time I started drinking coffee. And you didn't put sugar or cream in your coffee. You drank black coffee. My dad talked like this. He said, is, you put cream in your coffee. He said, so is that coffee or is that pudding? Right? <laughs> you drink coffee. Oh, you're going gonna to sugar and cream. and other. He... I mean, he's still alive. I'm sure he hates Starbucks. But nonetheless, and we're talking instant coffee, right? It's one of those old, you know, uh, uh, cookers that you put on there, those pitchers, you know, um, made of probably, I don't know what they're made of, iron, something, um, and fill it with water. And you put that instant coffee in your cup, and you pour it, and it tastes a lot like dirt. <laughs> But it wakes you up. But I can remember plenty of times, you know, they had the fire and then they would go off and do what they were going to do. And, you know, I just go get random things and put it on the fire, you know. And there's plenty of tumbleweeds around on the desert. You stick a tumbleweed on the fire, it's awesome. And then it's gone. I mean, that tumbleweed is, I mean, it burns up just like that. If you light a bush on fire, it's going to burn up fast. But Moses turns aside and looks at this bush and it just keeps burning and burning like a wax candle, but doesn't burn up, all right? And so he wants to turn aside to this. Listen to this uh, from Exodus 3, 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Oh, who appeared to him? Not an angel, what? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. The angel of the Lord who lays later in this text, in Genesis, uh, excuse me, this is Exodus, uh, in Exodus chapter 3, uh, what is it, verse 13 and 14, he identifies himself as Yahweh. That's God's name. This is the angel of the Lord speaking to Moses from a burning book. This is Jesus. He's the messenger of the Lord. The angel of the Lord speaks to him in the... Uh, appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now listen to this in Judges. So now we're all the way on the other side of Israel going across the desert, the older people dying, the younger people going into the land, fighting for the land, taking the land, and then that generation dies off. 
And it says this in Judges chapter 2. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt? The angel of the Lord. Okay. So here our writer says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. Right? So God offered the Israelites their own land in Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, but they would have to trust God and fight to gain and keep it. He didn't just say, here's this abandoned territory, you're just going to go in and you're just going to take it, right, or occupy it. No, they were going to have to go in and they were going to have to fight for it. It was filled with people who uh, were grossly immoral. In fact, we find this in the text. Uh, God says to the Israelites, the reason that I gave you this land is not because you're more holy than these people. It's be, you know, or you're more righteous. It's because of all of the abominations that they have committed. God judged them, and he used the Israelites to come in and mete out his judgment upon them. The same thing happened to Israel later. God took a pagan nation, the Assyrians, and they were used by God to judge his own people. And then about 150 years later, he brought another group of people in the Babylonians to judge the southern kingdom, the, uh, the Judah and, and Benjamin. So this is something that God does, right? Um, but that first group that the Lord saved from Egypt did not go in and take the land. They were afraid because they didn't trust God's goodness and they didn't have faith in his power. They didn't believe that God is good. You know, I think I, I say this when I do my series on uh, why bad things happen in the world, even though there's a good and loving and powerful God. We learn this prayer, or at least I did, when we're little. This is what we pray before we eat. God is great. God is good. Now I thank him for my food. God is great. He's all-powerful. And God is good. See, here's the problem. People don't trust that God is powerful enough to deliver them from the circumstances. And, or, they don't believe that God is good. That is, he doesn't care about them. This is the Israelites, right? So they had a hard time, but God always provided for them. But it's not easy to live in the desert, right? So there's probably, you know, a million people following Moses around in the desert. That's a lot of people. They got to have water. They got to have food. And there were a number of times when they struggled and God showed them miracles, provided manna for them, provided water for them, provided quail for them, and they continually were contentious with Moses, with Aaron, with God. So finally God had enough. Took them to the edge of the land of Canaan. This is the land that he offered to give them if they would just go in and take it. So they sent in 12 spies. You know the story, right? 12 spies came back. They came with all this produce of the land. Um, 
you know, with this, this, this huge cluster of grapes that were so large it had to be carried on the shoulders of two men. Oh, it was indeed a land flowing with milk and honey, as God had promised. But, they said, the Anakim are there. The giants are there. And we were grasshoppers in their sight, and so we became to ourselves. That's what happens when you look at yourself in the eyes of another person or another group of people rather than seeing yourself in the eyes of God. You know how God saw his people? As giant killers. David destroyed Goliath because David didn't look at Goliath. He looked at Almighty God. And he said, my God is bigger than you. You might be a nine and a half foot giant, but my God is bigger than you. But these people, they complained against God. They disbelieved in his goodness. They didn't believe he was powerful enough to empower them as warriors to go in and take this land. And so as the result, they died in the wilderness. Forty years later, after all of those adults had died, they accused God of bringing them out of Egypt to kill their children in the desert. God said, fine, you're going to die in the desert, but your children that you said I brought out to kill, they're going to take the land. And guess what? That's exactly what happened, right? If you want to see that whole story, you can turn to Numbers chapter 14. They refused to go in, right? God offered it to them, but they refused to take the promise. So that's the story. How do we fully understand that? How do we apply that to ourselves? The lesson is plain. God offers you the promise of salvation, right? You can want that. And I know, I did House of Judgment for years. People want to be saved. But wanting it is not the same thing as believing. We got to a place when we were doing House of Judgment where between one in three and one in four people that came through would make a professional faith. They would say they prayed the prayer to receive Christ. But when we would call people back and invite them to church, oh, well, this excuse, that excuse, the other excuse. You know? Everybody wants to be saved, but nobody wants to serve, right? Well, I'm not their judge by any means. Um, our responsibility is to provide them with the gospel, right? So their response is not your responsibility. They have to decide what they're, they're going to do with it. A lot of people want to be saved, but they don't want to follow through with a faith that perseveres. Faith, if it is really faith, will persevere. Um, so, apart from a genuine faith that perseveres, there's no blessing. Egypt, for us, is like the old life of slavery to sin. God sends Christ to deliver us, not just to give us salvation, and we just go on and sin, right? The people didn't stay in Egypt. They left Egypt. They had to cross the desert. And sometimes when you're seeking to overcome sin and addiction and lifestyle choices and so forth. It's like a desert. It's difficult, right? And then you got to fight all of these giants and you got to, you know, that's just the process, man. That's called sanctification. But people give up. And apparently they didn't want to trust the Lord after all, even though that's what they said. 
right? So this next one is going to take longer, and I'm just going to introduce it, and I'm going to have to go faster next time. All right. <laughs> um, verse 6, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. The angels were in the very presence of God and they chose to follow Lucifer and rebel. Not all of them, but a third of the angels of heaven. How does that happen? God gives these beings the same thing he gives you, free will. You can choose to trust the Lord, you can choose to follow Jesus, or you can choose to um, rebel. Now what really most often happens is we just choose to believe in ourselves and our own interpretation and our own feelings. We choose to believe the lies that are told by the devil through other people, right? Listen to uh, what many interpreters believe is an account of Lucifer. It starts by talking about a, an earthly king, but then swiftly shifts and seems to be talking not just about the earthly king, but about the devil who inspired him. How you, this is Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. That's where we get the name Lucifer. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly in the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Remember that? Remember the devil in the Garden of Eden? You will be like God. By the way, that's what Mormonism teaches, right? As God is, you may one day become. As you are, God once was. They're teaching the oldest lie in the book. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High, but you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Listen to this passage from Revelation 12. If I just read the passages, I'll get through it, and I'm just going to let you absorb the Word of God. A great and wondrous uh, sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. This is Israel. This is what this is representing. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. This is Jesus. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. This is Satan. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky. These are the angels that became the demons. And flung them, flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. Do you remember Herod decided to kill all of the male children? Um so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. This is uh, the Messiah, and that he will ultimately return to rule the, rule the nations. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. That's the ascension. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. This is the remnant of Israel, that is taken care of during the tribulation. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels, this is the archangel, fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, that is the dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. 
The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So now you clearly know that is the dragon who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. That's why there are demons on earth. Then I heard a loud voice say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They overcame him. That's us. That's how you overcome the enemy. Overcome the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he's no, he knows that his time is short. So there is the origin of the devil and his demons on earth. But our interpreter here says that the angels uh, are kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. So apparently not all of the demons, and we find in Revelation, not Satan for all time is on earth. When Jesus cast out demons from a man, um, this is the man that he found in the tombs in the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus said, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him, that is the demons begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. What is the abyss? The bottomless pit. Let's look at verse 5 again. Uh, Verse 6, excuse me. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So there is this region called the abyss where there are demons that are chained, okay? Listen to this from Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet. These are the trumpet judgments. You have the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then um, you have the bowl judgments. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to earth. The star, now we're going to find out this isn't just a ball of gas. The star was given a key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, remember the abyss is where these demons are, right? So now here is this star. Apparently this is an angel who is what? Fallen. A star that had fallen from the sky to the earth is given the key to the abyss. Smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth. That's what a a real locust would do, a, a physical locust would do, or any plant or tree. That's what locusts do, right? They swarm in and they eat all the, the foliage. That's why they decimate crops. This is why you understand these are not real locusts or they're not, this is a type, okay? It says they're not going to harm the grass. They're not going to harm any tree. um, But only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. These demons are going to be allowed out of the abyss to torment people. Before all this happens, God seals his own people to protect them from that. If you have Jesus... You don't have to be tormented by anything demonic. 
But people that don't have Jesus are going to be tormented. So we look at all these things that are happening around us right now. I'm wondering, you know, is this not demonic in nature? And I'm not just talking about the pandemic. Pandemics like this, far worse than this have happened. It's how people are responding. It's the insanity, the fear, the foolishness that you see uh, as the result of what's going on. These protests. Yes, you know, George Floyd, I mean, that's, that's terrible. But you're just going to burn city after city and on and on and defund the police. And this is demonic. That's what it is. It's a demonic overreaction. Yes, there are uh, illegal people that come over into this country, and some of them have bad intent. Does that mean everybody that comes into this country that's undocumented is evil, and they have bad intent, and they're all going to rape, and they're all going to steal? And No, that's nonsense. Build a wall and do this. The both sides are being driven by fear. And this, this hatred for anybody that's not like you, right? All right. So I think it's demonic. Um, we find this in Revelation 21 through 4. I'm going to quickly read this. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that's Satan, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus, and so forth. Nonetheless, the point is this abyss is this place where these angels are kept. Our interpreter here is trying to help us to understand God didn't make the demons into demons. Demon, daimon, is a demigod. They wanted to be gods. That's why they're fallen. That's why they were thrown down to earth. That's why they, were, they are rejected, because they rebelled. So what Jude is trying to tell us is, this is the false teachers, and this is anybody that follows them. Don't say, oh, I'm saved. I got saved when I was 15. I don't have anything to worry about. Are you following Jesus? Do you have a faith that survives that experience that you had when you were a kid? Right? Because faith, now this doesn't mean that you don't stumble at times. It doesn't mean that we're not relying on grace. We're not relying on our own works. But you and I need to understand that we've got to persevere. You have got to continue to run the race until the end. You don't get the prize if you don't cross the finish line. Right? It's important to understand that. All right. Well, I will finish up uh, this part next week and hopefully some more things as well. Thank you guys for coming. I went a teeny bit long but we're good to go. So I'm going to end our stream. God bless you guys for joining us.